The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. I'm David Merritt. And I'm Francine Lacqua. And this is In the City, Bloomberg's podcast connecting you to the stories and the voices at the heart of the City of London. This week, a conversation with Nigel Wilson, Legal and General's Chief Executive, but not for much longer. Yes, earlier this year, Nigel announced his plans to retire uh, after more than a decade at the helm of the financial services giant. Nigel is one of the City of London's most recognisable figures. He can be seen around town, knighted in 2022 for services to financial services. Welcome to the podcast, Nigel. Thank you. And welcome back, in fact. In fact, you were, I think, our first, Francine, was it? You are on our first podcast about the levelling up agenda of the government. So thank you for coming back. Glad to be here. Nigel, this is quite a transition year for you, right? You're about to step down as chief executive. What are you most proud of? I don't really think in that sort of way that I'm busy sort of counting the things that I'm most proud of and then ranking them or whatever. My biggest achievement at, at Legal in General is having you know an amazing team, an amazing culture, and who are you know trying to do the right things for the right reasons and have a real purpose. And it's very much a purpose-led business, which has delivered outstanding things not just here but a, across the world. You know, in, in the last decade or so. But how did you know? when the right time to step down was? How difficult is that decision? Yeah, I, I, I think the the decision wasn't that difficult because, you know, it, you know, you can try and get the right time or a good time. And I think, you know, it was kind of a good time and a good process in that, um, you know, the company can start the search for a successor and I can start, you know, talking to people about what, what I do next. And, you know, it's, you know, it may take a year, which is what we've said in the, uh, in the RNS. So it, it's not something that's going to happen in the, in the short term, but it allows the board to really manage the su- succession process with a lot of transparency. And if I go off to talk to people about some particular role or whatever, it's understandable why I'm doing this rather than sort of some clandestine or furtive operation <laughs> in the in the background with headlines in in Bloomberg. <laughs> yeah, we would have got the scoop right, <laughs> probably. Of course, yeah, yeah, on, undoubtedly. You know, we're we're recording this the day after Nicola Sturgeon announced her. Uh, stepping down as first minister of Scotland, and in her speech, she talked about this instinctive feeling of you know it's time to go, and not enough leaders have that sort of self knowledge. First moments in the job, I have believed that part of serving well would be to know almost instinctively when the time is right to make way for someone else, and when that time came. Do you think too many chief executives cling on too long? Well, there's not much evidence to cling on too long, but in, in one sense, in terms of a time sense, you know, the, the average tenure of a chief executive is, you know, three to four years. And I, and, and I, I do think that people should be thinking of more in the sort of eight to 10 years than going about developing their business as, uh, with an eight to 10 year horizon as opposed to trying to get immediate impact. And there's a lot of short termism still in, in business and indeed in the wider economy here in the UK, which I think has not been helpful for for economic growth or creating value for for shareholders. 
I mean, Dave was doing Bloomberg speak. I just thought that Nicola Sturgeon had had enough. And I don't know whether there's a point like, you know, do you step down when you've had enough or two years before you have enough? Is there is there an optimal point? But I, th I think I've gone for good, you know, which is a good point. I mean, it's a good point for the firm to be looking for somebody else. And it's a good point for me to be thinking about what's my next challenge. You know, I, it wasn't trying to optimize anything you know i mean in one sense i could have gone on for an, a number of years you know was, there's no shareholder pressure or but fact, did you feel a change in yourself i don't know whether no, it's not, not at all i mean you know i mean the hardest thing was actually talking to all of my colleagues about that i was going because i've been a you know an important part of their life and, and they've been an important part of my life for a long time so there was some quite emotional discussions of wearing me out actually <laughs> and i was thinking gosh will this come to an end and let's, let's get the rns out so i can move on to the next phase of my life i can't have another one of these meetings which is so emotional because we've done well as a as a team for a long period of time and you know people's careers have developed and evolved and they've got responsibility and accountability it's a big part of being a leader thinking about succession then and, and how much did you time did you dedicate to try and trying to groom the people who would be ready to take a, a over lot from you? a lot of time as i've mentioned before i move people around a lot so they've got a you know wide range of uh, experiences not just in the uk but they've you know chaired you know american divisions etc from an internal point of uh, point of view but the board has to look externally as well this, this is a you know great job for somebody to get you know we've, we're doing incredibly well you know the balance sheet's very strong there's lots of capital to spend <laughs> but actually you know, people in, internally, and we've got, you know, strong internal candidates have done, you know, lots of things that have made them, you know, um, they let them have a better chance. Plus, we've given them specific mentoring throughout the last year. So actually, we, we it's not like we thought about it, you know, three months ago, we've been thinking about it for a, for a while. But again, we wanted the internal transition to work to work well, so that people felt as though we'd given them coaching and support when we fired the gun. When did you start thinking about succession? This must be one of the hardest things to think about. You, even when you start as chief executive, you you have to make sure that the entity or the company is strong without yes. you. Yes, yeah, and that's you know been developing internal people and but and also bringing in some you know great external people into the organisation. So was that deliberate? Yes, yeah, yeah. You know, most things I do are deliberate. They're not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't overthink things through, but I do think things through. <laughs> <laughs> Um, do you think there's enough talent out there in Britain to do the sort of jobs that you've just done, running these FTSE 100 companies? You say there's, there's a search externally. Do we have enough stars to pluck from to do these sorts of jobs? I think the answer to that is we've not developed enough talent at, a, at a, both a macro level and a micro level across the uh, across the UK. And um, I think that's something that, you know, everyone should be thinking about is, you know, how, how do we develop more talent in, in the UK so that people can step up and do bigger jobs? Why is that? Just, you know, we've got some of the best universities in the world. Yeah. People come here to have their education, but why are we not developing enough it's people to question. step up to run these big companies? It's a great question. I was doing a topping out ceremony at Oxford yesterday, which is, you know, one of our big uh, projects, four billion pound project. And we were talking about the same thing as we produce this incredible amount of you know, people out of our, our brilliant universities, including Oxford, you know, but how many of them, you know, rise to, you know, really important uh, jobs in business and have we really sold business well enough into university graduates? And, you know, once they graduate, is that something that they, they, they look upon as a, as a realistic goal that they could become, you know, a chief executive of a FTSE 100 company? 
But what makes the difference between someone that becomes a chief executive and doesn't? So is it aspiration to become chief executive or is it resilience? I, I've heard, you know, you hear that you can have two people, same qualifications, same smarts, same intellect, but it's resilience through the tough times that yeah. will make one succeed, oh, yeah. not the other. Yeah. But that's when you learn as well. You know, success is a poor teacher, whereas when, when things go wrong, you have to accept they've gone wrong and then really study and learn what happened, why. And resilience is the most underrated, you know, attribute that people uh, don't really recognize in, in others. And they don't teach it very well or coach it very well or make people very self-aware. Compartmentalization is a really important part of that process because you can chop your life into different bits and then, you know, not all things will go well all of the time, but you're not sort of cross-contaminating other parts of your life because one part is, isn't going so well. And, you know, nobody's life, all the parts of their life is going to go well at the same time. So you've got to have this sort of cross-resilience. You know, you're only as happy as your least happy child. Actually, this, I love this, that. <laughs> basically, well, that's true. And so, um, you know, but if you worry endlessly about your least happy child whilst you're at work, then, you know, you become unproductive. But, you, you know, when you get home, you really have to worry about that least happy child and make sure they get a bit happier so everybody else is happy. Thinking a little bit about the, what you were talking about, the, the skills gap in Britain again, and just remembering our conversation last year around levelling up, and you were very passionate about that subject, it's part of the problem. You were just in Oxford. I mean, we have this concentration of excellence in this kind of triangle of Oxford, Cambridge, and London. We haven't done enough, have we, to spread the skills or the centres of excellence all around Britain? No, I think that's true. I mean, you know, in big picture terms, we're a low growth, low productivity, low wage economy fought by political infighting. And so, you know, the political agenda is massive over here where, you know, it's relentlessly on the news. It's nearly always negative. It's very London centric. And, you know, people don't get out enough to, to look, you know, what's the real potential of Edinburgh or Newcastle or Manchester or Birmingham? And they've fallen behind. You've always, Nigel, given us a lot of time talking about leveling yeah, up yeah, and, and things that are very dear. And it's very clear when we hear you speak that are very dear to yeah. your heart. Would you go into politics? No, I think it's interesting. What, what is politics? If politics is having a a you know functional role in government, then that's not as you know particularly appealing. But if politics is you know defined as delivering you know economically and socially useful outcomes for a large part of the population, then you know I'm clearly in the latter camp and not in the former camp, you know, do I want to be, you know, the Minister of Trade or Defence or Education? The city? And then, no, not the city minister. No, I, I, you know, I don't particularly want to do that. But, you know, do I want to be a champion for levelling up across the UK and various components of that? Absolutely. You know, do I want to write about that in a more academic way going forward? Absolutely, given all of the knowledge that I, that I have and experience that I have around that. That sort of unfinished business from my previous academic career, which uh, I, I dropped many years ago to pursue business. So this is where you're going to pursue your energies? Is there academia, but with a kind of public policy agenda? That's part of what I want to do going forward. You know, I definitely want to have a direct impact on, you know, the lives of people. You know, I want to finish off what I started, which is teaching. You know, I, I love teaching at MIT and, and previously at Essex when I was in the UK. But I now have a lot more life experience, a lot more relevance, I think, for the students and can be more ambitious and aspirational for them saying, you know, this is how you get to these jobs. Do, do you think chief executives, you know, on FTSE listed companies think enough about giving back, about levelling up, about making a real difference? I think I'd like everybody to think a bit more about it. I think there's, you know, the theoretical framework that, you know, Michael and Andy 
developed with with some help but it is just a theoretical framework you know what matters is the outcomes and you, me you measure stuff by outcomes and you know we haven't delivered enough good economically and socially useful mm -hmm. outcomes across but across why? why why do people not think about it more i don't know what i mean i know what i do I, it's always you know how do why do other people not I, I, it, the re part of the reason i i have sort of long-term views about stuff and you know even when i'm you know and i want to change things over a period of time most people are working on, on a quarterly and thinking on a quarterly basis. Oh, look, our numbers are terrible on a quarter. What can we do next quarter to get them back up or whatever? And to your point about the you know terms of CEOs, yeah. if, you, if you've got three years yeah. in that job, yeah. Yeah. you've got to do you've got to deliver shareholder returns. You're not going to be thinking about the next decade, are yeah. you? Yeah, we well, have to think about the next decade. That's the thing. The, the mindset change. We and same for, same for politics. You know, you know I, I do people, place, politics, whereas actually. You know, politicians start with the other way around. The other way around, which is wrong. And I think in business, you know, short-term profits become uh, too too important to focus. Whereas, you know, you you want to say, you know, I've got a ten-year view, and this is where I want to re reposition the the business over time. And I think that is a, it will result in more success than actually saying, "Don't worry, I'll I'll get this sorted out in the next six months or nine months or twelve months." And you want to bring in talent, you want to develop talent, that just takes a long time. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. One of the things that a chief executive might say is, well, I've got to deliver these returns. I've got these, these shareholders. Of course, you run a company which is a massive shareholder and an investor in, yeah. in, in corporate Britain. Yeah. But does something need to shift in the way that... Uh, 1,500 companies are owned and the relationship no, but with shareholders. I think, I think shareholders understand that, ironically, that actually it takes, takes a long time. It's, the, it's the, the marginal shareholder, if you like, who makes the most noise because they're, they're based so, so much of their job is based on their quarterly performance and they, they lose assets very quickly and those are the marginal assets. But the, the biggest shareholders are looking for long-term returns because we have sticky customers and we're enormous now. We're all huge companies and uh, and but we want long-term returns over a decade not short-term returns over a quarter on, on paper we've got a very business sort of centered government now obviously we've been through this amazing that's this week on yeah exactly this week precisely <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you know the turmoil of last summer um was obviously remarkable and noted all around the world but we've we've got a prime minister who you know worked at goldman sachs yeah worked in California, um, yeah. has talked about the sort of startup Britain that he wants yeah. to create. And we've got a chancellor who's also a businessman. Do you think that's the right team to push through some of these big structural changes in this economy yeah. that you're talking no, about? No, I think, I think they're a good team. I think we're looking at the moment, both political leaders are, are good people. And both um, Rishi and Keir are, are very good people and want the, to deliver you know good outcomes across the UK and recognise it'll take years. You know, he hasn't got long. Is the problem? In, in no, he's part. like a two-year chief executive, right? I mean, you know, maybe even less. Maybe you know, even just, less. Right? Yeah, I mean that's the whole problem is that people are thinking. You know, and you, you can't change things quick enough in Britain because the planning, the policy changes just take too long. 
and therefore you end up doing you know odd things you know we very rarely do strategic taxes we always do stealth taxes you know if there's a shortage we never think about you know what's the right thing to do over a 10-year horizon it's what what do we need to do very quickly to get some money money in you know the planning systems you know desperately needs reform in the in the uk the whole of the pensions industry needs reform in the uk but these are multi-year projects and you know whether you get people like myself to work on those multi-year projects and help get them passed without having to, the timetable of a, a political party to support them is, is is a very interesting question, I think, going going forward. What would Labour do? I don't I mean, know what would Labour do. <laughs> not, are you Labour, having talks with uh, no, the, I mean, the, the I, Reeves I like, and Starmer? No, no, I like them as well. I think they're good people trying to do a good job. So we're, we're fortunate in that we've got, you know, people who are quite similar in many ways about what they want to, to see is the outcome. And it's the outcome that matters. And, and they're pro-business. And they're pro-business, which is good. And I think they are pro-business, which is good. Um, because, you know, business is the way that this, these policies have to be delivered. And, you know, it's the delivery part of stuff that has been lacking in so many areas across uh, the UK for such a long period of time. You know, we, we, you know, DC pensions desperately need reforming in, in Britain so that they're competitive with, you know, the 401ks in America, but also the Swiss system, the Australian system, the French system, all of whom have modernized the uh, pension system because we've not had, you know, anybody in government for a sufficient long, sufficiently long to drive through re real change. So we need long-termism that people have collectively bought into and to really make a difference. So if you had a seven-year tenure as Prime Minister, and you've mentioned planning, <laughs> yeah. no, you no, mentioned no. pensions. What what would be the biggest priority? What would be on your intro like day one? No, I think those take a tiny amount of time to, to really sort them out properly by getting everybody in the room to collaborate, to whatever. But I would see myself as the advisor to the Prime Minister, not the Prime Minister. <laughs> That's too difficult a job, and it's a very you know, overly demanding uh, job. Whereas you know, I can be, you know, deep subject matter experts on things and actually help facilitate change in the UK. But, you know, the education system still, you know, it's brilliant for the elite, but actually, and the really talented, but it's not good enough for everyone else. And just recognizing that, you know, we need a massive amount of, of investment, both from internally from the pension funds, who've got five trillion of assets, but actually, you know, foreign direct investment that stays for a long period of time. You know, you know, our car industry is gradually eking away. The city is gradually shrinking. And these things we need to you know, correct. Through the years, you've had many headlines in papers. Were there any that you were unhappy about? Well, there's one in particular where um, we were labelled as dull but worthy. That was the headline, dull but worthy. <laughs> dull but worthy. So I was really upset about that. What did your that. wife think yeah. about that? Well, well she, she knew that was true. <laughs> but that's not, that was not my image of myself. And so, but actually a few FTSE 100 CEOs, particularly in the financial service, called me up and said, amazing headline. I would, I would, I would love a that. Dream headline. of that, right? A dream yeah, they, of that was for me. do classes of that and MBAs. They could have yeah. to be dull, but, Whereas, but uh, it was the dullness bit, and, uh, <laughs> and which was really, really. I never think of myself as a dull person, but uh, obviously sometimes I am. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure shareholders were very happy about that, as long as it was incrementally returned. It was. They were. They were happy. Yeah. What would it take for you to accept another big FTSE 100 company? I'm not going to do that. You know, I've decided that. Yeah, you're, or have you had you're some You're not offers? yet. No, no, no. <laughs> or, or you're not ever. You know, the unfinished business from earlier parts of my life that I, that I 
had intended to go to much earlier in my original original plan was you know do 20 years in business you know go to McKinsey and all the rest of it to learn a lot very quickly in McKinsey then so this is teaching you want to go back to no, teaching I, for I, what, a couple influencing of influencing outcomes I think is really it is really what I want to do and I'm going to do some more sport you know I love playing sports you know I love university life you know I was intellectually curious and enjoyed sports this is the perfect place for me to go to progress to being a student again regress to being a but I, you just don't have the same influence and I respect I 100% respect right. academics yeah, yeah. And policy advisors, but if you're, you know, the chief executive of the biggest FTSE 100 company, yeah. you're you're going to have more skin in the game and more influence over no. politicians. Yes, no, I think that's true. I, I do think that's true. But it, but it's not that, you know, can I do another role where I have a huge amount of, of influence, and that's the challenge I'm set, setting myself, where I'm not, uh, in some ways, constrained by you know the, the legal and general position on stuff because we you know we own you know every FTSE hundred company and etc cetera, etc cetera, um, is and that's one of my personal goals. What's the role that would give me huge amount of satisfaction where I could deliver outcomes, not reports which sit on the shelf, but actually outcomes which will result in much better solutions for the UK and change the culture so that we become. You know, this is the vision, this is the North Star, and this is how we're going to get there. And it's not going to be linear, it's going to be up and down. But actually, you know, people have the confidence in that you have the capability to get there and you build the team that believes they're going to get there. And if you're, if you're going to advise committees and advise politicians, how optimistic are you that some of these trends you mentioned, a dwindling city, a dwindling car industry, that these things really can be reversed? I think they can be. LNG is a good example of that. Is that you know we were you know not doing well you know in the after the after the financial crisis and we've done you know very well you know very well across the world and you know become a globally trusted brand and that having that credential and the credibility as a consequence of that I think is very very important to me uh, when you're talking about you know the need the need for change. And, you know, even yesterday in Oxford or in two weeks ago in Sunderland and Newcastle, which is where I was, you know, we've been at these things for 10 years and people see the transformational change. You know, there's a million square feet we built in Cardiff for regenerating Cardiff. Now, if I'd gone to my shareholders 10 years ago and said, by the way, I'm going to build a million square feet in Cardiff, they'd have been calling the chairman straight away and saying, we've had no <laughs> what, <is this> guy? <laughs> right. what does he mean by doing it? But it was a, you get to a door that leads to a door, you know, you yeah. become yeah. successful and then you, you, that success breeds success. You build momentum around. And you mentioned things. sport. I mean, that, you know, one area that hasn't shrunk is the football. Yes, <laughs> you know, it's the bit by far the biggest league. What can we learn oh, as an economy yeah, from? Yeah, 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 is, yeah, it just, yeah. is it sell out to yeah. US hedge funds? I stopped watching the, the Super Bowl at half time. Boy, was I wrong. I thought the game <laughs> <Right>. was over. <laughs> yeah, it shows how little well, I know about American football. Would, uh, would, you run a, would you run a Premier League? No, no, I'm club? not interested in doing that. I got offered that many, many, many years ago and decided that actually that was just, just, it's it's not a not a job. I love watching football, but doesn't mean I want to you know be, be involved in the management of uh, of football. Um, and I, I was going to ask you the best piece of advice you would give to your successor, but actually I'm going to ask you the, the worst piece of advice that you could give your successor. I think you know building the teams is the is the key. You know pe- we always say people are the key, but you really got to believe that people are the key um, and be confident that you've got you know. This, this North Star and convince, you know, internally and externally ev- everybody that that's the right thing to do. And worst piece of advice? <laughs> I don't know whether I, have, I, don't know, I don't know whether I give worst advice. What's the worst piece of advice someone's given you? <laughs> Travel more. I, I know it, it, have more coffee. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I th- I, Run a football club. I, I, 
like I don't remember like bad advice if you know what I mean. I'm, I'm not out there searching for bad advice around uh, around stuff. Um, I was approached about being the CFO of Apple years ago, and I turned it down. <laughs> Why? Is that a bad decision? Because you know, some everybody, my friends and the headhunters agreed that that would be a terrible thing to do. Uh, Wait, what? what, what? <laughs> it's a long time ago, Wait. so don't go. Don't don't go there. Just with you know the exact don't, is that public pre- knowledge. It's, <laughs> it's a long, long time ago, but. Uh, I mean, do you have a pinch in your? Wait, do you have a pinch in your stomach every time you buy an iPhone? No, 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 no. It's it's, no. It was. I learned a lot about that. Is that what I what I learned was you know do your own research yourself, and you know when I joined LNG, I'd done tons of research on it, saw this huge potential, and and I made my own mind up. But rather than sort of listen to people who were you know supposedly experts, but actually hadn't done a a deep dive on where the company could be. Nigel, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's In the City. We'll be back next week. But in the meantime, if you like our show, please head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, rate, review and subscribe. This episode was hosted by me, David Merritt. And me, Francie Lacqua. It was produced by Summer Sardi. Additional editing by Blake Maples. And special thanks to Nigel Wilson. The countdown has begun from May 14th to 16th a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.